All right, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon our study. Stand. Heavenly Father, again we do thank Thee for the life that Thou has given to us in Christ, uh, which Thou hast caused that we would be born again by Thy Spirit. Thank Thee for, Lord, giving to us uh, that new nature uh, that is according to thine image in holiness and righteousness and knowledge. We pray, our Lord, that thou would now guide us into thy truth, that thou would uh, give to us an understanding that would not be merely um, an intellectual understanding, but an understanding as well that would affect us in our heart, our desires, uh, our, our will to follow Thee. Bless this time as we approach Thee, cleanse us of our sins and wash us, Lord, from all our iniquities. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Tonight we are looking at John chapter 8, verses 12 through, let's see, 12 through 15. John 8, 12 through 15. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come, and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. Again, by way of review, uh, in the last uh, two studies, we spent time seeking to confirm that John 7, verse 53 through John 8, 11 are inspired scripture and that we should have confidence in receiving uh, and including them as, as God's word, uh, that they are not any less inspired uh, than the verses before or the verses after that they are included in the inspired text of God's uh, word in John's gospel. And then we considered the text itself, John 7, 53 through John 8, 11, last time, 
concerning the woman that was taken in adultery and why in that context Jesus uh, did not affirm that she should be stoned uh, to death. And we concluded uh, that Jesus was saying there were no credible eyewitnesses uh, to testify against her. Therefore, if there are no credible eyewitnesses, she could not be uh, condemned to death. All of the witnesses had discredited themselves by becoming partakers of her adultery by entrapping her with a man so that they could therefore then entrap Jesus. That was the whole reason behind this. They, they set up a particular situation with a man and this woman did in fact uh, sin willfully she did uh, commit adultery. It's never indicated that she didn't herself fall into adultery, but it was, again, a case of entrapment. Uh, they were just waiting for her to do so. They entered then the room uh, where this happened. They took her at that point before Jesus. They didn't bring the man uh, who also committed adultery with her. And so um, they set up this test case uh, in order to be able to find some reason uh, against Jesus to condemn Jesus and to have him arrested. And so we, we saw from that portion of God's word that Jesus teaches us the importance of due process in judicial cases, whether it's uh, civil judicial cases or whether it's ecclesiastical judicial cases, due process, going through a process of, of righteousness, of uh, a process of that which is lawful in order to say that somebody has become guilty and does deserve to be uh, either civilly punished or, in the ecclesiastical sense, disciplined. And, and uh, it raises the question, I think, for us, how often are we uh, partakers in rumors and either initiating them or in circulating and spreading them? without due process. How often do we become partakers of that? You know, when we do so, uh, we are, again, bypassing due process that the Lord has laid down for us here. Even if the person hypothetically is guilty, there's a process. It, uh, the process is not spreading a rumor, uh, uh, you know. Uh, the, uh, even if, uh, even if what is said, let's say, is not an act, uh, is not a rumor, but is the truth, there's still a process. We don't simply go to somebody else and say, "Did you know this happened?" or "Did you know this?" We we have a process laid out for us in Matthew chapter 18 as to 
how we are to handle a situation where um, we judge sin to be involved. And so let us, let us commit ourselves to turning rumors around and ask ourselves if we would want others spreading the same rumors about us that we're about to or that we have spread about others, would we want others to do the same to us? Because if we would not want that, that rumor spread about us, why would we be spreading a rumor about someone else? Apart from due process, apart from confirmation of, the, of, of facts. You see, this is, again, how divisions occur within the church of Jesus Christ is because we don't follow what Jesus himself here lays out for us to follow. He dismissed basically this woman who was guilty of adultery, but he, dis he dismissed the case, not that she had not sinned, she had sinned and Jesus deals with that. But that again, as far as a crime, that uh, deserved to be punished, she could not be punished if there were no credible witnesses. And so again, I think that, uh, that uh, if we turn this around and say, would we want this to be uh, said of us or rumors to be spread about us, I think that we, f we find our answer in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, Verse 12, therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So if we would not want others to be spreading rumors about us without going through due process, then we should not do the same toward others. Now let's look at our text, uh, the verses that we read John 8, 12 through 15. So John 8, 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We've commented a little bit uh, on this verse already in a previous study, because this verse assumes that it is a continuation of something that's already happened when Jesus, it says, then Jesus, then spake Jesus again unto them. So we ask some questions. Uh, if this is Jesus speaking again, when did he speak the first time. And uh, furthermore, if this is Jesus speaking again unto them, who is the them? Now, if we take, if we omit John 7.53 through John 8.11, the context would be that Jesus somehow appears 
before the Sanhedrin because John 7.52 is in the presence of the Sanhedrin where Nicodemus basically says uh, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth in verse 52 they answered this is the Sanhedrin they answered and said unto him art thou also of Galilee search and look for out of Galilee ariseth no man and then does it jump to verse 12 then Jesus then spake Jesus again unto them saying I am the light of the world again uh, I'm simply pointing out that without John 7:53, where it says in uh, about the Sanhedrin every man went uh, unto his own house and then having uh, Jesus go to the Mount of Olives in John 8 1 and then returning to the temple where he began teaching the people in the temple in John 8 2 and then the scribes and the Pharisees bringing the woman that was taken in adultery so that Jesus is dealing with that situation while still in the temple and and then those who brought accusation against her all leaving there still is a crowd there but those who brought accusations against her they've left which leaves now the crowd that was there that he was teaching and instructing so that in verse 12 then spake Jesus again unto them makes perfect sense um, uh, he now resumes speaking to those people who were in the temple before he was interrupted uh, or not interrupted before uh, uh, he uh, had that whole situation where they brought the woman taken in adultery so he resumes and continues his his teaching to those same people that were there in the temple uh, this is confirmed in if you jump down to John 8 20 so all that he said from John 7 12 to John I'm sorry John 8 12 to John 8 19 verse 20 it says these words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no man laid hands on him for his hour is not yet come so as he taught in the temple in verse 20 takes us back to verse 2 and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them so all of these events from John 8 2 to John 8 20 occur in the temple uh, in the same uh, at the same time uh, in the same context so again that's why it's so important uh, by way of internal evidence that uh, uh, this be viewed as a part of God's word that we not omit it not exclude it not put some doubtful uh, construction upon it it is the inspired word of God Jesus says here, I am the light of the world. Now, 
Now this reminds us, especially when Jesus says, I am, this really reminds us that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Because if we go back to John, uh, Exodus 3.14, there we see, uh, again, I believe, the Lord Jesus is the one speaking to Moses. The Son of God is speaking to Moses when he says there in Exodus 3.14, I am. Tell them, tell the people of God in, in Egypt that I am has sent you. As Moses was saying, who should I say has sent me to speak uh, to uh, the people and to, the, uh, to Pharaoh? And, and the Son of God says, tell them that I am has sent you. Um, I am. Uh, why is that the name that God gives unto himself, I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Well, I am is, you know, the present tense, uh, first person present tense uh, of the verb to be, I am. Uh, he did not become who he is. He has always been who he is, I am. Uh, so he's eternal, the same, uh, yesterday, today, forever. Uh, furthermore, I am uh, conveys the idea that uh, he did not come into being. Uh, he is self-existing. Uh, he uh, is self-sufficient, completely, infinitely sufficient in himself. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. He is. I am. Complete sufficiency. Jesus uh, calls himself I am later on in John chapter 8, the same chapter that we're in, John eight fifty eight. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. So he identifies himself as the great I am. You remember when they came to take Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 18, verses 5 through 6. Likewise, we read, Jesus had said in verse 4, Whom seek ye? Verse 5, John 18, 5, They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am. Uh, the King James Version says, I am he. But it, it again is literally, I am, Jesus says. And then it says, And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them, Verse 6 says, as soon then as he said unto them, I am, or I, as the King James says, I am he, but literally, as soon as he said to them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground, all of them. And there were hundreds of them um, uh, present that came to take Jesus uh, and arrest him. Um, 
uh, it was a Roman cohort. Uh, it, it, again, this was literally um, uh, hundreds of, uh, of uh, soldiers that were present at that time. They all fell back backwards that we read when he said, I am. How many of these uh, I am statements are there uh, in the Gospel of John? Well, let's just recount uh, some of them. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. John 6, 35, verse 48, verse 51. Jesus also says, as he does here in John 8, I am the light of the world. John 8, 12, that we're looking at even now. John 9, 5. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am. John 10, verses 7 and 9. I am the good shepherd. John 10, verses 11 and 14. I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John fourteen six. I am the true vine. John fifteen verses one and five. No one else in all of Scripture ever said, I am, in, the, in this way. Uh, this was uniquely Jesus who's speaking, and the reason he is doing so, he's identifying himself as being the great I am, who, uh, again, in each of these cases, are, uses metaphors to speak of some... Uh, something about himself as the great I am. So when Jesus says here in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, it seems to be uh, in the context of which he has just, again, to remember what we have just read and what we have recently studied concerning the woman caught in adultery and how they, the, the religious leaders, set this woman up and how they sought to, to entrap him. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, in, and in light of that context that we're just moving from because this all happens um, by way of events immediately one after the other in the temple while Jesus was teaching and instructing them. So when he says, I am the light of the world, how could that be interpreted? What did Jesus mean by that in light of what it just had happened. Well, I, I would suggest that uh, this is uttered 
these words of Jesus are uttered against the darkness of those religious leaders that sought to entrap him by entrapping the woman taken in adultery. You see the darkness uh, uh, in the hearts of, of these men that would entrap this woman and then would seek to entrap Christ himself. There was not the light of truth in them. There was not the light of righteousness in them. There was not the light of justice in them. There was not the light of love uh, in them as evidenced by their conspiracy. Joining their dark hearts together uh, to bring this, this uh, case against this woman before Christ in order to try to catch him uh, in uh, denying Moses, denying the law of God. As Jesus said much earlier in his ministry, we have covered this as well in John chapter 3, but you'll recall that uh, Jesus basically said that natural man hates the light. Natural man hates the light of truth. Natural man hates the light of righteousness. Natural man hates the light of goodness. Natural man hates the light of justice uh, because natural man has a heart of darkness due to that total depravity inherited through the original sin from Adam. Uh, we are born, or we are conceived and born with this natural darkness uh, in our hearts so that we do not desire and we do not reason and we do not think and we do not make judgments according to what is true and what is righteous according to what is good and just and so here an evidence that that Jesus who is the light of the world has shined in our hearts how do we what evidence do we have that Jesus has shined in our hearts as the light of the world uh, is that we are thankful that he has exposed our darkness we are thankful that he's exposed our sins rather than hiding our sins rather than uh, hiding ourselves from his light which comes from his word and from his spirit that convicts us of our sin we're thankful that he has revealed our sins to us see this is that's the response of those who are mired in their darkness back in John chapter 3 uh, verses 19 through 21, these were the words to Nicodemus. Jesus said, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. Meaning, he has come into the world, who is the light of the world. Light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, 
because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So again, Jesus is saying that, that those who are in darkness and who, uh, in whom he has not shined that light that brings true life, uh, they run from the light. They hide in their sins from the, the light. So one of the evidences that I believe the Lord gives to us that we truly have had his light shine into us so that we've been regenerate and we have come to know him is that we don't run from the light. We run to the light. We run to the light so that he can expose more of that darkness that remains within us sin that yet remains within us that we can by his grace repent of that sin and seek his mercy in mortifying putting to death that sin through his death and through his resurrection First John 1 John 1.7 John the Apostle says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin Yes, there's still sin within us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the, if we walk in his truth, if we walk uh, in his, uh, uh, the light of his commandments that he has given to us, if we walk in that, then uh, as, we, as we do so, by his grace, he cleanses us, he washes us from sin. David says in Psalm 36, 9, uh, 36, 9, In thy light shall we see light. As we walk in his light, he dispels uh, the darkness of errors in our theology, uh, in our practice. He exposes our sins as we walk in his light. And as we then repent of that, he gives us more light. He gives us more truth. He gives us more of his holiness. But if again we, we say, I don't want that light. If we say, I don't want uh, that truth or that righteousness, then darkness again uh, will uh, fill that part of our, our life. We, we will again not uh, be given truth. Uh, if we do not walk in that light, if we, if we say we do not want that light, uh, we will walk in error. 
And so in, as we continue in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see, this is what Jesus means when he says, he that followeth me. Uh, to come to Christ, and you know, when we find, for example, uh, in verses in, in John 6, which you'll look at, look at in a moment, it speaks of coming to Christ. To come to Christ is to believe in him uh, and to trust in him. To follow Christ is to obey him. So those who come to Christ have trusted in Christ. Those who follow Christ, Christ is walking and they're following behind him. They're walking in the same path. That idea of walking is walking by way of obedience, by way of love, uh, in the path of Christ. John 6, 35 uses both of these, or uses this idea of believing and coming. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, Notice, he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never trust or uh, thirst. Uh, so uh, here, to come to Christ is parallel to believing in Christ. Likewise, in verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. In other words, all that, that the Father has chosen, his elect that he has given to me to save, they will come to me. They will believe and trust in me. And then in verse 44, no man can come to me. That is, no, one, no man can believe in me except the Father which hath sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. So no one can believe and trust in Christ unless he is effectually called by God. Uh, the general call goes out in the preaching, teaching of God's word, but the effectual call in drawing God's elect to him, uh, that always issues forth in the elect believing or coming to him coming to him or believing in him so there is that aspect of coming there's also the aspect of following in Matthew 16 24 Matthew 16 24 uses both come and follow. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, in other words, if any man believes, believes in me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him, let him deny himself, take up his cross, which is again mortifying self, and follow me, obey me. So, that both of those 
trusting in Christ and obeying Christ are found there. In John 10, 27, likewise, notice what it says. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. That's to believe in Christ, to hear his voice, is to believe in him. And I know them, and they follow me. They obey me. Believing and obeying. Those who truly believe are going to obey him. Those who truly obey him give evidence to the truth that they have truly believed in him. Those who do not follow Christ, those who do not obey Christ, who do not love Christ, who do not desire to follow him in all that he has commanded us to do, evidence that they have not truly believed in him. If they do not desire to follow him, if they do not desire to keep his commandments. We're not talking about perfectionism, but even when we fall in the heart of the believer, there is the desire to repent, which is, again, following Christ, uh, which is to see, then to repent, to seek God's forgiveness. That's following Christ. To be restored back into fellowship and communion with Christ, that's to follow Christ. But those who don't desire to repent of sin, who basically don't care, and uh, who continue in their sin, are not following Christ. And if they're not following Christ, it only means that they have not truly come to Christ. They're not truly trusted in Christ. Just as we're here called to follow Jesus Christ in John 8, 12, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Uh, so likewise in scripture, we are, we are told that we should um, call others to follow us as we follow Christ. So there's one more step. Not only are we to follow Christ, but we are to tell others, follow me as I follow Christ. There's that step as well. And if we can't say, because we're not following Christ, follow me as, follow, as, as I follow Christ, then again, it indicates there's a, there's a problem. We should be able to say, not because we're perfect, not because we're sinless, but because, again, that even when we fall, we repent, we confess. That's what we want others to do, because we all fall. We all sin. We all need to repent. So even in that, we're saying, follow me in my repentance as I follow Christ. Follow me in my uh, confession as I follow Christ. Follow me in... Uh, my seeking God's forgiveness for my sin as I follow Christ. Um, 
follow me in my restoration to communion with Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1 Be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Hebrews 6.12 says and the Apostle Paul says that ye be not slothful, in other words, ye be not lazy Christians, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Follow those who inherit the promises, those who are faithful. Follow them. And that's what we're exhorted to do by our glorious king and husband, husband, heavenly husband in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, where the bride says to the Lord Jesus, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? The bride wants to know where to, to feed, wants to know where she can be uh, spiritually fed and, instruct and uh, instructed and taught, where she will find food for her souls or her soul. And then in verse 8, Lord Jesus responds, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. Go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock. Where the flock, the faithful flock, have trod, where they have made a path, Follow them. They will lead you to the place where I am, where I uh, feed my flock. Follow them. So this is, again, to follow Christ. That's obviously preeminent. But we are also to follow those who follow Christ. That's the basis for historical testimony. Not only to say I'm following Christ, but also to say I'm following those who have gone before me who are following Christ. And we hold up again, not because they are without sin, not because uh, they are um, uh, saints to whom we pray or mediators for us in some way, but because the scripture sees this as a continuity in history that we are to follow those uh, who have walked faithfully. Their testimony should be our testimony. Their endurance and patience in the midst of trial and tribulation should be our endurance and our patience in the midst of trial and tribulation. 
We gain, we gain wisdom. Uh, we gain strength that God gives to us as we look upon this great cloud of witnesses that have preceded us. And so again, let us keep in mind, it's not only following Christ, that's preeminent, that's supreme, but it's also, don't, let, uh, don't forget this step in following. Follow those who follow Christ. Verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. The Pharisees here that were yet present knew that uh, Jesus um, was most likely speaking to their own darkness. That these words were directed at them. I think that they sense that, and that's why they're so defensive here uh, in saying, in verse 13, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. When he is simply saying, and I, I believe he was directing it toward them, but I think that they uh, knew that, and that's why they were defensive, um, is that his saying, I am the light of the world, and those who won't receive this light are going to be walking in darkness. I think that's why, again, they, they respond as they do. Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy rec record is not true. Uh, he was revealing. They knew that Jesus was revealing the darkness of the conspiracy of sin and error in seeking to entrap him and the woman was taken in adultery. Let's say publicly seek to, again, discredit Jesus by saying that his testimony about himself and uh, being the light of the world and them being in darkness is merely his own testimony, which they say means nothing. It, this is just your own testimony. You're just bearing record or testimony as speaking as one person uh, and we all know that the law of Moses says that there must be two or three witnesses in Deuteronomy 19.15 uh, that the testimony of one person means nothing. You're simply speaking of yourself. Anyone could make the same claims that you're making, speaking on behalf of themselves. Now, what hypocrites uh, these people were in implying Jesus needed two or three witnesses when they had just been willing to condemn this woman taken in adultery without two or three credible witnesses that were not um, partakers of the sin in having entrapped her. Again, they show their hypocrisy. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. So Jesus here says, uh, Yes, I am bearing record of myself, but my record is true. Why? Because I am the eternal Son of God. I am. 
I am the light of the world. My record, that is uh, same word for testimony or witness. My testimony of myself, my witness of myself is true. Uh, Jesus did not need any human witnesses to confirm the truthfulness of who he was and who sent him. His word, his words, and we could say um, this is his word, the Bible is his word, uh, is self-attesting. No further uh, confirmation is needed to believe the words of Jesus, to believe the word of God. Nothing more is needed by way of confirmation or someone else's authority. You cannot appeal to a higher authority than God himself. That's why, again, Jesus says, I don't need any other one to confirm uh, my testimony, what I've said. It's sufficient. I'm God. I'm the Son of God. I am. It's sufficient. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 1, section 4 says, The authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed and obeyed dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. Self-attesting. Jesus just says all of scripture is self-attesting. Jesus is making that claim concerning the words that he has spoken. Nevertheless, even though the words of Jesus are self-attesting, though all of scripture is self-attesting, the Lord confirms his self-attesting word by further uh, testimony, whether it be miracles that have been performed that confirm um, uh, the fact that the word of God is, is what it claims to be, whether it's the fulfillment of prophecy, uh, whether it is the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus based all of his words basically all of the all of scripture uh, upon the fact that he upon being crucified would raise be raised the third day everything stands or falls uh, with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ if he was crucified and was not raised from the dead then the rest of all that he said and the rest of the Bible we can just throw it away means nothing. It is what many people say, simply fairy tales. But if he was crucified and he was raised from the dead, as he said he would, and as actually did happen, then in fact all that he said is further confirmed and all of God's word is confirmed as being true. The death of the, of the apostles who were afraid, 
who were hiding, but again, uh, after the, the death of Christ, and uh, until Christ appeared to them, and when he appeared to them, the, the change that transformed their lives so that they were willing to, uh, to die uh, for what they proclaimed. Uh, no one, again, uh, is willing to die for what one believes and knows to be a lie. They were willing to die for the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and was raised the third day. Um, and uh, 500 witnesses, not just the apostles, 500 witnesses were willing to do the same. And then uh, the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit, which bears witness in our spirit, uh, again, by his supernatural work, that it is the word of God. All of these are confirmations uh, of the fact that God's word is self-attesting. It is the word of God. So Jesus knows who he is, that he is the eternal son of God, and who has sent him, that he comes from the Father, and uh, where he is going uh, is to be seated at the right hand of the Father after he has accomplished redemption for his elect In verse 15, we'll close on this verse. Jesus says, Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. So Jesus rightly accuses the Pharisees of judging him after the flesh. That is, uh, after earthly standards that can only uh, be seen and, and heard uh, with the knowledge of, uh, of mere natural men. Uh, that's judging according to the flesh. They had the Old Testament scriptures, which uh, were prophecies of Christ to come. Uh, they, they had all of that available to them. Uh, had they believed the witness and the testimony of God, and, uh, but uh, they did not do so because they were nat mere natural men. They were not spiritual men. They, they were not born again. They were not regenerate. They were lost. And so they were blind, as Jesus said. I'm the light of the world. Those, again, uh, uh, who do not receive the light are those who walk in darkness. So they had the Old Testament scriptures, but they were, were of no use uh, to them uh, for the prophet they were mere unregenerate men who were living in darkness and could not see and understand. On the other hand, Jesus says, He judges no man. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge, he says, no man. So the question arises um, in what sense does Jesus mean, I judge no man? Does he mean in an absolute sense that he judges no man? or in a qualified sense that he judges no man. Well, certainly in an absolute sense, it, it cannot mean that because we know Jesus judges. Um, in fact, uh, in John 5, uh, 22, uh, Jesus says that the Father has committed all judgment unto the Son. 
So all judgment has been given to the Son. We know in other places of Scripture, uh, for example, in Revelation 2, verses 20 through 23, Jesus talks about coming to uh, certain churches that have apostatized, fallen away, coming in judgment upon them. We know that the judgment of the Lamb in Revelation is brought against uh, wicked nations and kings of the earth. Uh, that, that's spoken of uh, uh, presently in the present age um, that this will happen, uh, judgment upon nations, and it does happen. In fact, the judgments that, that have fallen upon nations fall upon nations, according to Psalm 2, from the sun um, because uh, they are those who will not kiss the sun, those, those nations, those uh, judges, those kings that will not kiss the sun, uh, the sun will judge. And then there's eternal judgment that's committed to the sun. Matthew 25, I'm sorry, uh, uh, judgment with regard to eternal uh, eternity. So the final judgment is committed to the sun. Matthew 25, 31 and Acts 17, 21. So it doesn't mean that, that uh, when Jesus says, that he, I judge no man. It doesn't mean I judge no man in an absolute sense. So it must mean I judge no man in a qualified sense. Did he mean in a qualified sense that he did not, in his first coming, exercise any judgment and that it's all reserved for his second coming? Again, no. Uh, he didn't mean that because uh, he came according to the word of God, uh, with judgment, even in his first coming. His first coming judgment and judgment that he brought is not the same as that judgment on the last day, but yet he did come to judge, as he himself says. For example, uh, we read in John 9.39, Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. For judgment I came into this world. His first coming, he came for judgment. Likewise, in John 12, 31, Jesus says, Now, is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So there is a judgment that he came to bring uh, even upon the evil one, the wicked one, upon the world, uh, his coming. Uh, brought judgment upon those who do not believe. In fact, uh, Jesus says that those who do not believe, his judgment rests upon them. Those who do not believe in him, in John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned or judged, but he that believeth not is condemned or judged already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So again, 
To say that Jesus in his first coming did not bring judgment is also wrong, even if it's in a qualified sense that he's going to later uh, bring judgment at the second coming. Uh, that's still wrong. He came in a qualified sense to bring judgment. So in what qualified sense did he come to bring judgment? And in what sense does he say, I judge no man? Well, he has just said, ye judge after the flesh. So following from what he just said would be, I judge no man after the flesh. Ye judge after the flesh, but I judge no man. Parentheses. Or, uh, yeah, parentheses after the flesh. That's why Jesus says in John 7 24, uh, judge with righteous judgment. He judged with righteous judgment. He did not judge after the flesh, but with righteous judgment. Again, this is, as we close, this is a good reminder that we ever take care to render righteous judgment. That is, judgment that is based upon God's word, uh, judgment that's based upon two or three credible witnesses and not rumors, Judgment that is based upon a consideration of our own weaknesses. In other words, we don't judge other people on the basis of their weaknesses when we share in the same weaknesses. Um, we try to help them. Uh, again, do unto others as we would have them do unto us. So if we share in similar weaknesses, that we have to be very careful about then judging others for the very same weaknesses that we ourselves have um, that's that's again uh, the kind of judgment that we ought to render um, uh, a, a judgment that recognizes yes maybe there's a, a weakness of a particular sin here but I also have weaknesses and may, maybe in that situation rather than uh, going to others uh, with regard to the weakness of sin that I see in someone else I should rather have pity. I should rather have uh, a desire to help, a, a desire to come alongside that person. And, and rather than, again, um, uh, simply judging that, that person for, again, as I said, weaknesses that I myself have. And the question, again, we have to ask, would we want to be judged by the same standard that we apply to others, would we want to be judged by others in the way that we judge others? That's, again, the rule of Christ. We'll stop there. Let's uh, stand and ask God's blessing upon his word that we have considered this evening. We thank thee again, our Lord, how thou dost shine the light of thy truth upon us. Jesus is the light of the world. May we not run from that light, even as we've talked about perhaps certain things that make us feel uncomfortable because we are exposed, because we see how we
in our own lives have uh, not judged uh, others with righteous judgment, but have judged according to appearance, have judged according to uh, the flesh. We pray, our Lord, that thou would would uh, grant us thy forgiveness and cleansing, that we would again walk in that rule which is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets, that we would do unto others as we would have others do unto us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Any questions uh, this evening?